Good morning, everyone. If uh, I've not had a chance to meet you, my name is Aaron, uh, teaching pastor here for Riverwood. And if you brought a Bible, I'm going to invite you to open it up right now to Mark chapter 12. If you're a first-time guest, we don't care if that's a digital Bible. We just want you to have one. So either download one to your phone, or if you're here in person, stop by our uh, resource table outside, and you can pick up a free Bible and make that your everyday Bible. Uh, Today in Mark 12, we're going to see one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture. And I mean, there's a lot of famous verses. Uh, Many of you know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You know, that's the one that Bannerman holds up at the uh, uh, baseball game or the football game. Uh, Some of you, you know, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, When you go to weddings, you hear 1 Corinthians 13, uh, you know, love is patient, love is kind. Well, today you're going to hear a verse that's just as famous as any of those, but this particular one is uttered by Jesus. This one is so famous that churches have built their entire mission around this sentence. That, that there are discipleship courses that, that when someone becomes a new believer in Jesus, this is one of the first verses that they memorize. In fact, this verse is so famous, it has a nickname. What verse am I talking about? Well, let's pray, and then we'll read, and we'll find it. Heavenly Father, uh, we are your people, and these are your scriptures. And so I pray that you would accomplish right now what you need to do. Heavenly Father, I'm just reminded that this is not a show that we are doing. As Jake prayed, we are not here just to sing some songs, hear a message, and call it good. Uh, Father, these are your people. I believe you want to do something really great through them. But so often, before you do something great through us, you want to do something deep in us. So Lord, I, I pray that anyone who's here in person, anyone who's joining us online, anyone who's listening to the podcast later in the week, that that right now, they would be open to you and that you would do what you need to in them. Because Father, what we're going to hear today may be famous, but sometimes by hearing something so famous, we sometimes miss what's really being said. And so Father, help us to be open to what you need to do in us. May we be attuned to your spirit so that you can shape us and mold us into that image that we will love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. So do this now in us, so you may do what you need to through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, we are going to be at Mark, start at Mark 12, verse 28. So if you would, join me down there. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he, being Jesus, answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, well, the most important is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength and to love one's neighbors oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So as we were reading there, I I know some of you immediately clued in. 
Ah, verse 30, the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But before we get to that commandment and start really working through it, we need to see why it is that Jesus uttered this. Uh, Two weeks ago, we saw Jesus in a conversation with some undercover Pharisees. They were pretending that they really liked Jesus and were there genuinely to learn from him. But really, they were there to try to trap him. If you were with us, you heard them ask a question about taxes. Should they pay uh, taxes to Rome? The hope was if he said yes, that all of the Jewish people who did not like Rome would therefore not like Jesus and he would be canceled by culture. If he said, uh, uh, no, you should not pay them, then Rome would not like him and they would have him arrested. But we saw Jesus very brilliantly slip out of their trap, and that led him right into another trap, the Sadducees. They tried to trick him with a question about marriage in heaven. They didn't believe in the resurrection, and they tried to prove Jesus didn't know what he was talking about. But once again, we saw Jesus brilliantly and beautifully slip out of their trap as well. Well, in the audience, listening to all of this conversation is a scribe. We don't know much about this scribe. We don't know his name. We don't know where he's from. We don't know how old he is. But what we do know is he's curious, which is really remarkable. Because you see, the word scribe is not actually that accurate. Yes, it's true. They did copy the scriptures. You you realize back then their their scriptures were on scrolls and they had no printing press. And so they would actually open a scroll and, and write. So they would meticulously copy it letter by letter, making sure it was transcribed perfectly. If they made a single mistake, out it would go and they would have to start over. But in that process of copying this, they became so much more than just human extra, uh, uh, Xerox machines. They actually began to know it intimately, deeply, to the point that they became experts and people began to consult them. They became the people who would draw up the legal documents. They were the ones when a, a debate might break out, people would go to to get theological understanding. So, so they were more than just these copyists. They were more like a, a lawyer wrapped up with a, a, maybe a priest and, and a seminary professor. This meant that they had pretty high standing in their communities. People listened to them. People liked them because they were seen as the experts. And as experts, they don't ask questions. And yet this expert does. You see, at the time, the the Bible background commentary said that there was a debate going on. The, The question was, what is the greatest commandment? Moses was used by God to write what became known as the Mosaic Law. There were 613 commands in there. But at Jesus' day, there was a, a debate raging around. Yes, but of the 613, which is the greatest? We, we in Christianity have the same thing. I mean, just in my lifetime, I've heard debates about music, about clothing, about style, about women in ministry, about sexuality. Right now, it's about race, uh, abuse in the church. I mean, there's a lot of things being talked about in Christianity. Uh, It was no different in Jesus' day. There was this big debate, which is the greatest commandment? I would suspect that this scribe had an idea. I mean, as someone who's copied the scriptures, who's studied it, who's shared it with others, he's probably had other conversations about this. He's talked to other scribes, other rabbis. He's talked to maybe people who were interested in the community. But then he watches Jesus hears him brilliantly get out of this trap question about taxes. Slip out and and just show the Sadducees they're not nearly as smart as they think they are in their trick question about marriage in heaven. And so suddenly I think he wonders, could this guy help settle this debate? I have some ideas, but this guy is brilliant. 
Maybe he knows. So he does what you don't expect of an expert. He asks the question. Now, one of the commentaries I uh, consulted this week said that uh, he was asking his question similar, in a similar fashion as the Pharisees and Sadducees of before. That, that he was trying to, in a sense, trap Jesus. That their reasoning was at the very end of our passage today. It says that no one dared ask Jesus any more questions. But I'm going to very gently disagree I think this guy is, is very curious. He really wants to know. I think he is so impressed, he can't help himself. And he just suddenly blurts out, which is the greatest commandment? Like, he doesn't go through the motions that the Pharisees and Sadducees did of, oh, teacher, you know all things. You know, he doesn't try to flatter him and set him up. He just blurts out. And Jesus does something fascinating. The question is, what is the greatest commandment. And Jesus responds by giving him two. The first one he gives him comes from Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5 says this. This is going to sound very, very, very familiar. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This right here is the beginning of what is known as the Shema. The word Shema in Hebrew simply means hear. Many people believe that it received that name because of the first word, hear, O Israel. However, I think it was more than just, oh, that, that was the first word. Did you know over in England, when a, a Christian writes a worship song, the name of the song is just the first line of the song. In America, we you know, name our songs like the, the key words out of the chorus. But in England, they name it the first lyric, the, the, the first line. Uh, that's kind of what's happening here. However, I think there's something deeper there. They're, they're genuinely saying, here, because you need to pay attention. This is key. This is crucial. What you are about to hear is central to our faith. And what was it that the Jewish people needed to hear? That the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You need to realize that when God gave this to the people, that they were living among a wide variety of cultures and religions, and there were all these false gods. And because God is invisible, sometimes they'd start to doubt if their God was true, if their God was real. Now, they had seen him work these miracles in Egypt, but maybe he did those things in Egypt and now he's not with them anymore. So there would be temptation to give in and begin to follow these other gods. So God's trying to say, nope, there's only one God. Th th don't pay attention to those other gods because they're not real. There's one God. The Lord your God is one. But that word that's translated one can also be translated unique. We as Christians know that our one God is comprised of three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. No other religion even tries to hold something like that out. Our God is unique. But also when you look at his character, he's unlike any other God that is proclaimed to exist. I mean, our God is compassionate he is just. He gives mercy. He is all-powerful. He is all-present. Like, there is no one like him. And so, therefore, there is no one worth our worship. He is the only one. Then, God says, here's how you are to worship him. Here's how you are to love him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. First, your heart. This is to love God with your affections, with your emotions, uh, last Sunday, I shared the uh, good news that my family adopted a little puppy 
She's absolutely adorable. I don't love her as much this morning because of the two and a half hours that I missed last night, but she's still awesome. What I've discovered this week is that she has touched our emotions, that there is affection. When we see her do something silly, we can't help but laugh and find joy. In fact, that's why my kids have decided to give her a middle name. Uh, We were just going to name her Kaya. She's now Kaya Joy. But also, when we hear that soft little whimper, sometimes it it breaks your heart. When you see her run to you, it just puts a smile on your face. Like, it's touched us. And suddenly, I discovered that we are loving her. We're loving her with our heart. God wants you to love him with your heart. But notice it says, with all your heart. That means with all of your affections, with all of your emotions, So that means you come to God and worship him and love him in the good moments, but also in the tough moments. He wants all of you. So give him your triumphs and your tragedies. Give him your happiness and your disappointments. Give him your joy and your sorrow. Give all of yourself to him. He wants you to love him with all of your heart. The second thing the Shema teaches us is that we are to love God with all of our soul. This is to love God with your identity. In America, so often when someone, you know, wants to get to know you, they're asking for your identity. You think they want your name. Sometimes it goes a little deeper. They want to know your family. Or maybe they want to know where you're from. Or maybe what you do. All all those things are good and any other part of your identity. But almost all of those things can change. Your true identity is the core of who you are. And it does not change nearly as rapidly. What God wants is for your identity to be wrapped up in him. Not in your politics. Not in your your, uh, 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 lifestyle choices. Not in your hobbies. Not not in your gender. Not not in any... First and foremost, your identity. When someone says, well, hey, who, who are you? Now, this would be weird. You don't say this. But inside, you think, I'm a child of God. That's when you know you're beginning to worship him with all of your soul. This is the type of love that martyrs have. That their identity is so attached to Christ that when someone says, I need you to deny your God, they can't do it. Because to deny their God is to deny themselves. But their identity is so wrapped up in God, they can't do it. And so they lose their life because God is more precious to them than their very life. That is loving God with all of your soul. So love God with all your heart. Love him with all of your soul. But then the Shema says to love him with all of your might, with all of your strength. This is with all of your energy. In other words, love God in your daily activities. That that everything you do can be done in worship. Whether you're holding a baby, you're caring for the elderly, you're driving to work, you're sitting down listening to a friend, no matter what you are doing, you can love God. You're giving him your energy, you're giving him your time, you're giving of yourself your might and your strength. This is what we are asked to do, to love God with all our heart, soul, and strength. But did you notice, I, apparently the uh, nursery is doing construction uh, back there, so I, I apologize for the, uh, the hammering. Hopefully they're doing a really good job. Uh, I'm going to hope that's one of your kids, Tim. Uh, if it's one of mine, uh, it's, it's a disaster. Uh, um, I want you to notice in Mark 12, Jesus gives this Shema. However, he inserts a word. Right between soul and strength, he inserts the word mind. I think you could argue that the other three, heart, soul, strength, 
You, you could say, well, that, that's loving God with your mind. I mean, because we know that really, truly, your heart doesn't produce any emotions. It's your mind. That, that you know, your, your body, you know, does this, the, the energy thing, but yet it's, it's your mind telling you what to do. Like, so you've got a, a case that this is your mind. But who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to a scribe an expert in the law, a man who's very, very intelligent, who's very, very learned. And he doesn't want this guy to miss it. He wants this guy to realize you are to love God with your mind. That is to love him with your reasoning. So read the scriptures, study it. That is loving God with your mind. Go and read a book or listen to a sermon on apologetics. Go and study a subject, learn biology, Learn math. Like study these things in depth because God is the one who created all of it. As you learn it, that is loving him with your mind. Give all of yourself to him, including your very reasoning itself. So Jesus, when asked, what's the greatest command? Starts with the Shema. Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But remember, I said he didn't just give one. He gave two. The second one he gives comes from Leviticus Numbers, uh, uh, chapter 19. Leviticus 19, verse 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now I want you to notice that God here through Moses tells the people, don't take vengeance, love people instead. And immediately goes to, I am the Lord. That is because there is a link between God and our relationship with people. You see, God tells us to not hold a grudge, to not get vengeance. Because if we do hold a grudge or we do give vengeance, we are denying the image of God within us. Because you realize how God interacts with us. God does not hold a grudge. God does not get vengeance on us. But if anyone has a right to it, it's God. I mean, we, we see Adam and Eve sinning in the garden. God had a right to hold a grudge against humanity. In that moment, as they have sinned against him, gee, I mean, God warned Adam that the penalty for their sin would be death. And they did die spiritually in that moment. And eventually they go and die physically but God did not in that moment get angry and just smite them and snuff them out. That is not God. Instead, we see God give mercy. Not only do we see it to Adam and Eve in allowing an animal to be killed in their place and then they become covered with the, the skin of the animal to, to cover their nakedness, but we now see it through the cross, how Jesus becomes our replacement and how we now become covered in the blood of Christ and he becomes our righteousness. God has not held a grudge against you. God is not going to get vengeance against you for what you did. He loves you. And so he's given his son for you. And so if a perfect and holy God doesn't hold a grudge against us, who are we to hold a grudge against a fellow sinful human? God is the Lord. He has the right to tell us what to do. And so he says, do not hold a grudge. Do not seek vengeance Instead, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in that sentence, that phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, there's an underlying assumption. And that is that you will love yourself. 
most all of you, you love yourself. Like most of you, you got up this morning and you gave your body some fuel. You, you put some food in you. Some of you, you took a shower. You, you, you cleansed yourself. Uh, you, 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 uh, uh, you know, not only got dressed, but you know, like you, you, you take care of yourself. Some of you today, later today, you, you'll like give yourself good things. Ice cream, Netflix, like you're gonna do something nice because you love yourself. But some of us, we struggle with it. Some of us inside, we are so negative. We are beating ourselves up, telling us we're not good enough, we're a failure. Some of us, because we don't love ourselves, we ingest substances that are really, really bad for our bodies. Some of us, because we don't love ourselves, we, we overeat. Why does it matter? Or some of us, we don't eat. We just subside on, a, on like energy drinks. We don't care for ourselves. We don't love ourselves. When you don't love yourself, when you don't care for yourself, you're basically saying to God, eh, you're wrong. You messed up on this one. Like, I, I'm not worthy. No, listen up. You are. You're worthy of the blood of Jesus. Why? Because God's image is in you. So you must take care of this body. You must take care of yourself. You must love yourself. Now, I'm not saying go love yourself in a selfish way. No, you are to love yourself in a way so that you can go and give yourself to love your neighbor. But if you don't love yourself, you're not gonna be able to go and love them. You have to take care of yourself because you have a job to do. You have a mission that's been given you to go and love your neighbor as yourself. So take care of yourself. Honor what God has done for you. Honor the cross so that you can go and be a blessing to others. So Jesus takes the Shema and this passage out of Leviticus and he brings the two together. Because when he's asked, what's the one great commandment? He can't stop at just one. Because in his mind, they're linked. Well, love God. But that's going to naturally lead into loving others as you love yourself. What I want you to notice is the response. Actually, before we get there, First John says this. This is uh, one of Jesus' uh, closest uh, apostles, disciples. He writes a letter, and he says in First John 4, 20 and 21, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother... He is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen. I'm sorry. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must love his brother. In the minds of the biblical authors, there is your theology in God comes out in your love of others. They are linked why do they think that? Because this is what God taught them. This is what Jesus gave them. If you say you love God, if you say you are a Jesus follower, you have to love others. And that's hard. <laughs> because people are hard. This means you have to love someone with different political stance than you. It means you have to love someone who may choose to live their life a little differently than you would. Raising their children differently. The way they conduct their marriage. It means loving someone who maybe says inappropriate things at work. 
It's, it's loving someone who, who spouts all sorts of nonsense. Now, loving them does not mean just accepting everything. But loving them is respecting them. Finding some way to honor them. Finding some way to listen to them. Finding some way to let them know you care. Because if you think about it, you have held opinions that are different than God's. And yet Jesus loves you. You have had things in your lifestyle that have not honored God. And yet Jesus still loves you. You have thought things or done the things that have not honored him. And yet Jesus still loves you. This is why even when we're around difficult people, we have to find a way. It may take a lot of prayer and fasting, but they're worth it. Because Jesus said we were worth it. So we are to love our neighbor as ourselves because we love God. Now I want you to hear how the uh, scribe responds. Back in verse, uh, chapter 12, start at verse 32. And the scribe said to Jesus, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength and to love one's neighbors oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. I don't think you realize just how phenomenal that response was. I'll be honest, my, my first time, you know, just getting into it this week, reading through it, it just sounds like he's repeating back what Jesus said. And, and he is. He's repeating it back, but he, notice he doesn't say it exactly the same. He's not parroting. He's not mocking. He's responding in a way to say, I get it. He's showing, I've heard you. But did you notice what he did at the end? He tacked something on. He says there at the very end, he says, all of this, loving God, loving others, it's much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. You realize that this scribe has spent his entire life devoted to the scriptures, copying it, teaching it, explaining it. And inside of those scriptures, the Mosaic Covenant, the Mosaic Law, those 613 commands, there are a ton of information and instructions on burnt offerings and sacrifices. And so he knows these things intimately. He knows that when this certain sin is done, you need to sacrifice this kind of animal. The blood has to be splattered this way. That for these things, this type of grain offering needs to be given. Or, or over in this situation, you've got to burn these things. He knows this stuff in and out. And yet he hears Jesus and says, you're right. The Shema and Leviticus 19.18, that's more important. Because he realizes you could go to the temple, you could go to the synagogue, you could do all the sacrifices, you could bring all the burnt offerings, but if your heart isn't giving it to God, it's all for naught. That you could show up on Sunday, you could put on your Sunday best, you could carry a Bible under your arm, you could listen to Life 101.9 on the way in, and yet you could still be hating someone. And it's all for naught. You see, God doesn't want just the outward action. He wants you. And in this moment, the scribe realizes, out of all those 613 commands, all this information on sacrifices and offerings, 
It's this idea that God wants you to love him and love others. Because when you are fully devoted to him, your worship comes out. The the Jewish people would find themselves much more likely to come and sacrifice as they worship God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They'd find that the relationships going so much better within the community as they love God. Because now as they love God, they are starting to love one another. And that's what we need to get. This is why Jesus doesn't just pluck two random things out. He grabs two. He says, this is key. You got to get it. And it's gone beyond just the Mosaic law. It rings true to our day as well. We're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. To do so is to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. So I want to give you two takeaways today. First takeaway I want to give you is as you do this, I want you to start by loving God first. Yeah, don't, don't mishear that. I'm not saying to go and ignore people. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm focusing on loving God. I'll, I'll, I'll get to you later. No, 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 please love the people around you. However, sometimes we as humans, to somehow prove to God we're worthy of love or to prove our love of God, we go and do nice things for other people. But really, as we do those nice things for people, we're actually doing it for ourselves. I remember years and years ago, Riverwood was not even birthed yet. We had not had a public worship gathering. We're trying to meet some people. Leanne and I had connected with this couple. They were not church attenders, but they had a trailer. By the way, that trailer is now parked outside. We ended up buying it. But they had this trailer. And we asked, hey, someone needs help moving. Could we borrow your trailer? He's like, yeah, sure. I'll drag it over and I'll help you. So the guy just jumps in, helps us. We load up this lady's stuff. We move it over. And so I'm just thanking this guy profusely. Thank you so much for letting us borrow your trailer. And he says, glad to do it. Because man, when you help someone, it makes you feel good. He was serving her so that he felt good. Now, when that's a side product, hey, great. But when that's your motivation, not great. See, serving other people, loving them, isn't about yourself. It's about them. And so that's why I say, start where Jesus started. Start by focusing on God. Because when you focus on God, you see his heart for us. You see his unrelenting love. You see that he's put his image in you. You see that Jesus died for your sins. You see that he's given his spirit to you. When you see all that he's done for you, it now compels you to want to go. So you don't go to serve just simply so you feel good and you look better. You go to serve because God has served you. You go to love because God has loved you. So if you're going to walk out out of here today, how do we do this? How do we start the great commandment? Start with God. Just start by focusing on him. So find the ways to worship him with all of your heart. Maybe it's find, you know, worship music or, or, or get out in nature or, or read, a, a, you know, a, a devotional book that's going to move your heart. Find the ways to help your identity get more and more wrapped up in him. I, I, maybe it's sticking scripture on the mirror or in, in the shower, or, you know, memorizing. Maybe it's, um, uh, you know, like in your wallet next to your driver's license. Put in something that indicates like, no, first and foremost, before, you know, the state recognizes me as this person, I belong to God. Find a way to, to use your energy, your might, your strength to serve him. It could be just what you're already doing, but as you go into it, just say a prayer. God, use me in this next moment. Find the ways to just continue to let yourself love God because as you love him, I believe what we are trying to do as a church will just begin to flow through you and you will go and love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived.
So that's number one. Start with God. Number two, thing I want you to take away with you today is a little memory technique. What time is it? Years ago, uh, when I was the young adult pastor at a large Bible church, uh, we didn't have traditional Sunday school. We had what we called ABFs, adult Bible fellowships. Uh, the difference between a traditional Sunday school class and an ABF is that a, a tra- traditional Sunday school class is often like content-driven, curriculum-driven, like, hey, we're going to study the book of Acts or the book of Revelation, or we're going to study finances. And that's the draw. You, you go for that information. And ABF was more based on relationships. We had relationships for college students, young singles, young marrieds, you know, parents with little kids, empty nesters. I mean, the whole gamut. And so when someone new would come to our church, we wanted to connect them into community because we were a large church. We'd start trying to help find the ABF that fit their life stage. Well, I was their brand new young adult pastor. And within a year, we realized we had probably 30 to 50 young single professionals part of our church, but we had no ABF for them. So it was time. We needed to start one for them. So I I got a leadership team together. We started meeting. We started talking what this might look like. And one of the things we needed to do was have a name. All of our ABFs had a name. Now, some were pretty plain and generic, like the college group. I mean, there you go. But others, they got a little creative. One was called um, homesteaders. They, they, you know, young parents, you know, raising their kids up in a home, wanted to maintain the home. Another one, they were trekkers, not Trekkies. They weren't Star Trek fans. Trekkers, because they were trekking through life together. They were middle, uh, uh, kind of like close to empty nesters. Well, this group wanted to have a name. So we're having a, a meeting, and I remember Eric, uh, the guy that I'd asked to be the, the kind of the leader for the group, standing up at a whiteboard, and we've got some silly names going up and some just kind of, you know, average names and some creative ones. And all of a sudden, someone says, hey, how about 1230? And Eric stops and looks at him and goes, no, like we're, we're going to meet at 11 a.m., not, not 1230. And they're like, no, 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 not the time, the verse, Mark 1230. The great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And several young adults were like, ooh, I like that. That's creative. But someone else chimes up and goes, yeah, but that's going to be confusing. People are going to see that it's 1230, and they're going to think that's the time we meet at. So they decided to tack on the time. So this new ABF became known as 1230 at 11. They thought they were geniuses. The rest of the church thought this was hilarious. We were the laughing stock of the, of the church. But in that moment, I learned a little memory technique. Ever since, I've never forgotten that Mark 1230 is the great commandment. And so what I want you to do is to ask yourself, or even at times to ask fellow Riverwood family, what time is it? And they're not asking you to pull out your cell phone and say, oh, it's 1022. They're not asking you to, you know, look at your watch. They're asking you, don't forget the great commandment. And this works for yourself. You can actually ask yourself, what time is it? Are you, are you going through something really rough right now? It's 1230. Is something great happening right now in life? It's 1230. Are you driving to work? It's 1230. Getting ready for bed? It's 1230. Whatever you're doing, whether day or night, whether in joy or sorrow, whether it's Monday or Friday, it's 1230. Country music may have Alan Jackson and Jimmy Buffett singing up that it's five o'clock somewhere, but for Christians, it's 1230. So right now, what I want you to do is I want you to turn to your neighbor and I just want you to say, what time is it? And let him answer, it's 1230.
So don't forget, it's 12.30. You may walk out of here at 10.30. You may go to bed tonight at 9.30. You may get up tomorrow morning at 6.30. But no matter what time it is, it's 12.30. It is time to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your affections. To love him with your soul and your identity. To love him with your mind and your reasoning. To love him with your might, your strength, your energy. And it is time to go and love your neighbor as yourself. It's 1230. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to be 1230 people. That we would be a church that that doesn't just uh, have this cute little memory technique. We would be a church that lives this out. That no matter what is going on, we would love you with all of our affections, with all of our energy, with all that we have, with all that we are. That we would put you first. And out of that we would go and be a blessing to this community that we would love our neighbors. We'd love our coworkers. We'd love our spouses. We'd love our kids. We'd love our parents. We'd love everyone around us, even the difficult people. Because God, you did that for us. Jesus, you came down to this earth that even while we were weak, while we were sinners, while we were your enemies, you, Jesus, went and died for us. You did for us what we could not do for ourselves. You loved us us with your whole heart, with your whole identity, with your whole might. So help us, God, to be like Jesus, to love him fully so that we might become more like him. Help us, God, to live each and every day as though it is 1230. In Jesus' name we pray.